Hello, fellow watch lovers, nerds, enthusiasts, or however you identify. This is 40 and 20, the Watch Clicker podcast with your hosts, Andrew, and my good friend Everett. Here, we talk about watches, food, drinks, life, and other things we like. Everett, how are you? Gosh, I'm so good. It's been a good week. It's been a good, it was a good weekend. I had a busy, busy weekend. Yeah, I'm busy golfing, golfing. Yeah. Golfing and running. And running, you know, uh, it, it was, it's all fun stuff. It's all, Will gives me a hard time because it's like, oh, you say you don't have any free time, you know, you need, you have time to do this stuff, which, uh, fair criticism, right? But, uh, really both those pastimes are very time consuming. They're time consuming. And, and, you know, you set a weekend aside to do these things. And then I go to central Oregon with some friends to this beautiful golf resort. And it's like, we're all sort of uh uh grindstone guys right and so we get out there and it's like let's do as much relaxing as we possibly can in three days which means you know you play way too much golf and you drink way too much beer and you just go you go and so at the end of the day it doesn't wind up feeling like any rest because it's actually not and you're a little hungover the entire time it's exhausting to be hungover that's right that's right. So no complaints, right? That is what I wanted to do. That is, it is a, a completely elective weekend. Uh, fun, enjoyable, lovely, and still exhausting. And so it's also a haul. How was the weather? It looked nice. You know, so we got there Friday. It was chilly, you know, so it's like between 40 and 50 every day. Um, but it's central Oregon, so it's high desert, right? So fairly mm-hmm. dry. Uh, the golf course is in for a winter golf course. It's in fantastic shape, totally stunning. Right. Um, but that first morning I woke up, I woke up Saturday morning after we had golfed Friday afternoon, um, to do a run, a long run Saturday morning. And the entire place was covered with like an inch to two inches of snow. We're like, Oh, well, I guess we're not going to golf. Uh, but sure enough by 1030, it was clear. So interesting. Yeah. It's, it's a, I mean, it's weird. It's a weird area. High desert. It's fun. It, yeah. it was amazing. Very jealous. How'd you play? Uh, I played really well most of the time and not as well some of the time. <laughs> Great answer. <laughs> How's, how are you doing, buddy? Good. We are plugging away, getting packed. A lot of boxes in our house. And that's kind of it. That is my, my time not spent working is spent figuring out what I can live without for the next two weeks and putting it in a box. Put it in a box. Yeah, that's right. Uh, having just come from this mode, I do not envy you at all. No, but we've hired our movers. We've got them scheduled. So it, like this is a great moving crew. Uh, no, we uh-huh. hired somebody else who also came very highly recommended. Has more reviews on Yelp. Same number of stars. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah, Whoa. Exactly the same price. Whoa. Right. So, yeah, we've got them scheduled because I don't want to move couches or boxes for that matter. We th- we considered hiring people to pack too, um, but it was the same price, like per the per hour price for That's the team to come in. Three times as many hours. Yeah. It's just, it's more time, a lot more time. So, yeah. um, Opted not do that really made me appreciative of all the times the army paid for that entire expense. Cause I'm like, man, <laughs> the army forks out some dough to move you around. Yeah, that's right. That's right. It's expensive. Yeah. Well, without further ado, I do yeah. think we should move on because we only have an hour and we have to talk about watches today. We've got a plan to talk about watches today. Yeah. And, and we have a special guest. Our, our guest today is an accomplished writer for the watch clicker website and the newest member of the writing staff at watch clicker announced just last week. We've got Evan Casper, AKA I Cortman on the Instagrams. Evan, how the heck are you? I'm doing good guys. How are you fellas doing? Well, you heard all about it. Yeah, you've oh, heard, you've yeah. heard how we're doing already. How's That's, your week going? Because today's Monday, yeah. <laughs> uh, Monday, pretty normal, normal Monday stuff here. Uh, wasn't too bad. Weather's been really nice here, which has been nice. 
Yeah, you guys have snow on the ground there, right? You're in 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 Missouri, Missouri, uh, Missouri. <laughs> Missouri. I'll clue you in. No one here says that. Yeah. Everyone no. says that we all say it, but no one does. Like maybe a few people around Kansas City. I don't know, but no one here says here it in either. Central Missouri. No one says Missouri, and we actually got rid of the last of our snow. But yeah, we did really get dumped on there. Uh, the whole Midwest did really, and uh, yeah, we're glad to see that going. I'm ready to deal with some mud. Did you have the same issues as uh, like? Texas did because everyone made a big deal of Texas getting hammered by a winter storm because it's very unusual. But I'm imagining that that is not an entirely unusual winter occurrence for you to be getting, you know, 10 or north of that inches of snow, weeks of freezing temperatures. So for us, no, we don't usually get a ton of what we get, like a lot of the rest of the south and the southern Midwest, we get ice. Mm-hmm. which is worse than snow. And I think I think Texas got some of that too. And that was what really was playing havoc with their power grids because you get, you know, uh, an eighth or a quarter inch of ice, that stuff's heavy. Mm-hmm. And that takes down power lines, that takes down trees, which then take down power lines. We were never out of power. Uh, I think a few of my neighbors might have been for just a little bit. We got warnings from the power company about peak usage and stuff because we had we had, uh, what was it, 12 or 13 below zero here for a few days, a few nights. Damn, yeah. that is cold. <laughs> yeah, that's where you just, you work from home and you stock the wood stove all day. <laughs> oh my gosh. And you live n- right next to it. The wood stove. Yeah, yeah you don't leave. Ooh. Yeah, no, it's, that's when you're glad your house is small. <laughs> you, you know, I've experienced temperatures that cold o- only twice, I think, in my life. Uh, and actually never that cold uh and man it's a totally different world of cold i know people live in like negative 30 regularly but i just can't imagine it's fucking nuts yeah yeah that i would be just as happy if we never got that frankly (laughs) i would be just as happy in my life if it was sunny all the time yeah 75 (laughs) (laughs) well evan you are not here to talk about the weather because i understand you're not a meteorologist what you are, what you are, and, and I'm going to say this, I'm going to say this with with no tongue in cheek, you are, I would say, somewhat of a gold watch expert. And, and I don't mean that in the uh, watch school or any sort of academic sense, although you probably have some of those skills as well. But in terms of collecting gold watches, you're the closest thing that I know, besides perhaps someone like Jeff Batchelor. Uh, to a gold watch expert, w- would you say that's ac- accurate? Uh, you, you flatter me for sure. Yes, uh, no, purposefully so. <laughs> it's working. Um, I like gold watches, and really, there's not a lot of enthusiasts that like them. It seems it's a little strange. I, you know, when I started getting interested, I did what we all do. I looked on Watch You Seek. Right, that's where you go for. That's where you go to learn about watches. Yeah, the word in the trenches. And uh, not a lot there. Not a lot as far as information or enthusiasm, really. So I guess in this very small uh, pond, I am maybe a medium-sized fish. Well, well, by way of sort of getting us introduced into how you started to think about gold watches, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, a little bit about who you are as a watch hobbyist, and, and then how, how you get to gold watches. Because you're right, sure. it is kind of an odd. It is kind of an odd uh, segment. Maybe not odd. Uh, it's but an, a much narrower segment of the already narrow watch nerd segment. That's right. A niche within a niche. Yeah. No, sure. Uh, I'm Evan. You know, born and raised in Southern New Jersey, so I have that in common with our boss or my boss, Will. Um, moved to the Midwest as a teenager. Been there ever since. I like the space of the Midwest, but I do miss the shore. Um, uh, what else? I have an engineering job, but I'm really bad at math. Um, and I am a dad and husband and Washington enthusiast. I got into watches, uh, in a serious way to probably about three years ago now when, and you know, it's the common story inherited a watch, uh, an old family friend who was, uh, a really dear friend of mine, uh, like a grandfather to me, he was a world war II vet. Uh, 
married a German girl, moved back to the U.S. He passed away, and his widow gave me his watch, which was a Seiko. Uh, let's see if I can get the number right. I think it was a 6309-8239, basically a little three-hand Seiko 5. Okay. Um, and totally smashed crystal. No idea if it ran. I didn't even know what a mechanical watch was at the time. But I got that. I got the crystal replaced, found that it did run, and learned what an automatic movement was, and just enjoyed it. I didn't know anything about servicing it either. But, uh, you know, I had that connection back to my grandpa, and that kind of got me started down the rabbit hole of reading up on other watches and stuff. And then uh, in 2018, my wife and I, we planned a camping trip to various places in the American West. We went through the Southwest, hit the Grand Canyon, other places. And I wanted to watch for that trip because I didn't see the point in taking an expensive phone for me at the time, uh, hiking into the woods where I had no service just to read the time. So a watch would actually serve a function for me. And doing a bunch of research, of course, led me to the SKX. Because I it's the up one perfect of watch. It's pretty dang good. I'll give it that. Yeah. No, I got it. I love the, it. The look you know? of disdain yeah. on his face when I say <laughs> Well, it's... <laughs> All right. Moving right it's along. Good. But, uh, no, I'm, I loved it. That big slab of steel, all that stainless, you know, uh, just so rugged, such incredible loom. It's stayed in the tent pocket at my head at night and yeah just worked without a hitch how'd you so so uh, so I, actually so, sort of to back up here because i'm always curious about this transition right i think every this happens to everybody uh that, that gets to kind of where we're at in in a different way but how do you go from you know so you you, you get this seiko 5 this old seiko 5 it's smashed up you don't know if it works you don't even know what an automatic movement is how do you get from there to then find, finding the SKX, because I think it, it doesn't take a lot of work to find the SKX, but it takes more work than just sort of a single Google search or whatever. I think you kind of have to be looking for the next level of something. So what, what did that look like for you? I'm curious about that when I talk to people. Yeah, so I guess probably the search for how to fix that old watch really was what you know, got me sort of stumbling upon some of these other threads on watch you seek wherever. Uh, and you start seeing a lot of stuff. And I've always been a lover of shiny. Like, I like gold. I like bullion, you know. So well-made watches seemed like something. It just was something that really appealed to me. And I sort of tucked that in the back of my mind. After I, li I, got I like bullion, too. It's good for, like, if you don't have, like, beef stock or whatever. I use it over over vegetable stock. Yeah, me day, too. Me guess. too. Okay, carry on, Evan. I'm sorry. Will do. So So yeah, that that was kind of how it got me there. I you know, initially when I was looking to buy my first uh, you know, real rugged watch there in the SKX, it was kind of a toss up between that and the Mako. And shocking. The as Mako you, as you do. Yeah, exactly. The Mako, the Orient Mako almost won out, but I was willing to splurge for the better loon on that skx so really it was just from there uh and clearly you know, clearly the better that. design as well <laughs> i would agree with you there that orient's got to figure out what what to do with crowns and bezels but <laughs> the real jump for me happened between the skx and when i discovered steinhardt ah yeah so steinhardt's a brand that people feel differently about obviously i don't even remember how i stumbled across it but I saw Rolex homages for affordable prices and I was just blown away that, you know, slope bezel, the case finishing looked terrific. I just fell in love immediately. So I sold the SKX. I got myself a Rolex homage Steinhardt. And like the minute I opened that box, I was like, Oh, this thing's amazing. Yeah. Because it looks like a Rolex, you know, yeah, and that's yeah. a time proven, fantastic design. And so that was really where, you know, at that point you jump from spending what 150 back then for an SKX to you know, 400 for the Steinhardt. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's a, it's and a that's big really, jump. Yeah. That's really where the slope started getting slippery. And, uh, <laughs> I found myself turning into a watch enthusiast. 
AKA someone who spends too much money on watches. Oh yeah. That's all of us. I, I do have to say, it looks like you do spend just the right amount of money on your library though. Cause you, you look to have, you have many leather bound books, a gorgeous <laughs> law library behind you, but I don't think that's what it is. Oh, thanks. Yeah. I, I'm kind of a big deal as you've noticed. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It smells uh, like it. No, yeah. I, that's another thing I love classical literature. And if I, and it was funny when you had Kaz on, he talked about how, you know, if he reads an ebook that he really likes, he goes and buys an Eastern press copy, yeah. and, you know, exact same strategy for me. I've been doing that for a long time. So are those all Eastern press or generally? No, there's like, a yeah. pretty good variety here. There's Folio Society, Eastern Press, none such, uh, a bunch of old stuff, but yep. All classics pretty much. It's a great, great background. There are people who yeah, superimpose that picture into their background for their Zoom calls. That's right. <laughs> so, so, so Steinhardt, uh, which Steinhardt did you get? Uh, the Ocean 39 at first. Okay. Yeah. I think yeah. it was, I think it's called the Ocean 39. The sort Just of. their bog standard. Yeah. Mm, 39 exactly. millimeter Rolex homage. Which is, which is one of those watches, I think. Everybody's sort of taken a look at that, and it's such a classic. You, you know, bog standards is an interesting way to describe it because I think that it, that's right, right? It's This is just the watch. If you're going to get a Steinhardt, it might be this one. Um, well, well, so at some point, you, you, you go from, you, you know, old Seiko, classic story, SKX, fantastic move, Steinhardt, really sort of next level move but but then your your collection takes a turn i would say and you start getting into vintage pieces so so where does that come from i mean obviously the seiko 5 is a vintage piece but i think it's almost in its own world right it's not what i it's not what i think of when i think of a vintage watch so at some point you take a turn into these classic uh american British, but these gold pieces, these dress pieces, and that's probably got something to do with your affinity for nice things. But, but talk to us a little bit about the, the details behind that. Yeah. So like I said earlier, I think it originally probably sort of stems back to my childhood. My dad was an avid coin collector and, uh, that's how kind of, I got my love of gold and, uh, precious metals. And I, at some point it just occurred to me, Oh, you know, they made vintage watches in solid gold. I really wonder what those go for nowadays because you don't see them. And it turns out if you are careful, know what you're looking for on eBay, they're actually, or they can be quite affordable. So I had a promotion uh, at work, a long-awaited one. I hadn't had one for a while, and it was kind of a big deal for me. So I decided let's celebrate a little. Let's you know, gold watch. So I started looking around, uh, eBay, especially. Um, and yeah, there's actually quite a selection out there. I wound up going for a vintage Hamilton, uh, Hamilton Finomatic, I believe was originally, uh, from that line, that line was created for, to be presentation watches, uh, to be given, you know, at the end of what, 25, 30 years of service. Sure. Mm-hmm. The and, retirement watch. Yeah, that, you know, that link to a job and linking it to my job just seemed a little fitting, kind of. And so you wind up with a Hamilton Thinematic and then and then what? And then all of a sudden you're you're in the hunt. You're in a free fall at this point is what it seems like. Yeah. <laughs> the, the slope, yeah. the slope yeah. is no longer slippery. It's non-existent. <laughs> yeah. yeah, guys, my wife might be listening to this. You got a headset on. You're good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think so, yeah, I think I, she means I think he means she might listen to the episode. Our wives don't listen to it. Your wife wouldn't listen to the episode. Uh, she's would, going to. Does she? <laughs> she, told me she, oh. she is going to. Okay. Oh. So they're super affordable. What I can say is that they are about one tenth the price that you think they would be to be purchasing gold watches. Uh maybe not too far off, actually. Okay. Tell me more. So yeah, I uh, got that Hamilton in. I opened that package. It came from eBay. I was a little... Uh, Mr. eBay. I bought, I bought a lot of watches from that guy. He's a great seller. Yeah, he needs to work on his packaging, though, because I opened this thing up, and it's <laughs> like... <laughs> it's paper towels, duct tape around an old dip can. 
inside yeah. the dip can <laughs> inside the dip can rattling around is a solid 14 karat gold hamilton thinematic so nothing inside but, the dip can just watch yeah, in nope. dip can wrapped in paper towels so yep. It, yep. phenomenal basically no padding <laughs> just <laughs> he put some yeah, gravel in there to stone it's to make better it than stoneware better than dirty socks but like but there is yeah. there is a fellow you know who you are there is a fellow that listens to the show and he's actually one of our very favorite listeners longtime guy and one time he sent us uh, a couple of watches a yeah. couple watches and they came in they came in socks i'm sure the socks were clean they were clean uh but they they did have quite a bit of cat air uh you know who you are. We still chuckle about it today. <laughs> That's how I travel with watches until I got a watch roll. I was rolling yeah. a pair of socks. Yeah. yeah. Well, at least, you know, pulling us out of a dip can, it had a nice winter green smell to it. Mm, That's amazing. Instead of socks. So. That's true. I actually have yeah, a, no, I, I actually have a winter green, a can of winter green um, grizzly that I store like dollar coins in, in my sock drawer. And, oh. they, and they come out smelling like wintergreen. Hmm. <laughs> I found a half can of wintergreen the story. other day. And I opened it up and I was like... <sighs> and got all jonesy. And you like, didn't oh. put a dip in? No, it was very dry. I would have put it uh, in. It was probably... It, it had to have been five years old. <laughs> I'd have still... I'd yeah. have dropped one. Give it a try. <laughs> Evan, uh, so carry on. We're talking about packaging. gold watches. <laughs> okay, so yeah, I got this... Uh, I pulled the wintergreen... Hamilton out. It smelled great. It felt great. You know, it, it actually had like a little bit of extra heft because it was made of gold. And yeah, it looked great. It was in really good shape. It ran. I think it, I timed it over 24 hours. It kept time within like six seconds. Holy That's really crap. good. Cosk standards. Yeah. yeah. And so after that, you know, terrific experience. Yeah, I was on the hunt. So I set up an eBay search, you know. Solid gold, a few keywords. Just keeping my eye out. Just watching the market, you know, like you do. Like you do. And, and this, uh, this vintage Smiths came up. And I'd never heard of Smiths. Well, actually, I guess I had heard of them, but they weren't on my radar. Uh, old British brand, because they're, of course, not actually producing anymore. At least not the original company. And, yeah, this one was... Now they're made by a mean old British guy who yells at customers. Oh yeah, yeah. That's a whole other. That's a whole other story. But I looked at this thing, and you know, of course, the pictures were super blurry, like they always are. Take but with a flip that dial, yeah, yeah. That dial really stood out to me, and it was going pretty cheap. So I put a low bid on, and lo and behold, I won it. And it made its way across the pond, and. If anything, I like that one even more. Uh, that was a little nine carat gold. Smith's made for, again, made for presentation and uh, in pretty dang good shape with this just beautifully aged dial. I've seen pictures of these new old stock and the dials started out stark white with like applied gold or gilt indices and blued hands. And this one, and you can see the pictures of it, of course, on the article on Watch Clicker, but this one had just aged to this really, really attractive kind of golden salmon color. And so, yeah, I, I was pretty excited to receive that one. And so, you know, two success stories, two out of two wins, just stoked the fires even more. And uh, I don't actually have anything more really on the horizon at the moment, because at some point you do have to step back and realize I own multiple solid gold wristwatches and uh, let that sink in. But yeah, it's been a fun experience. I have to say, I and I'm really surprised that uh, more people don't pursue it. There, there's always room for more, though. There is. That watch box holds like 16, and it's not near full. Perfect. Well, Evan, let's 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 talk about it, right? So, so why might a fellow like me? Why might a fellow like me want to really start thinking about um, gold watches? You, you know, we'll, we'll just take a moment here to say Evan's written a great two-part series, and I think that there's a three uh, part three in the works. Is that that accurate? A part three has been published. It's too. been we're looking. Oh, at oh it. yes, we'll yes. So, so, so three. 
three-part series on gold watches on Watch Clicker uh, called The Case for Gold, part one, uh, part two, part three. And, and the, the pictures of the Smiths uh, are in the part two. Um, why might a fellow like me, you can find those at watchclicker.com. They'll all be linked in the show notes. Why, why might I want to buy gold watches? Give, give me some reasons for this because I think it's, it's one of those things that is kind of obvious on its face, but then you start to think about it. Ah, is this right for me? What are some good, like sort of objective reasons why I might want to do this? Yeah. So I think first uh, it sort of relies on an interest that you might have in vintage watches and, you know, the vintage market has boomed. Interest in vintage has boomed. There's a lot of people interested some people just aren't. Uh, if you're one of those who is interested, um, I think solid gold presents uh, a case of intrinsic value. You know that the metal in that case is always going to be worth something. Literally intrinsic there, value. Right. There's there are millions of plated watches out there, millions of brass watches, chrome plated, whatever vintage that get sold a dime a dozen. That um, don't have a lot of value besides what we add to them, you know, as, as you guys have said with gold, I mean, there's always that extra bit of interest to it. You know, the fact that this is made out of a precious metal and therefore it just sort of, to me, elevates the whole piece a little bit in value to, to myself anyway. Um, it just sort of adds a little bit of extra X factor, you know, to what otherwise might be just a, another run of the mill vintage watch. Um, I don't get the gold. I don't get that you're suggesting any sort of investment quality, but but there's something there's something to that end there, right? Right, where you're you're not just putting your your money into a thing that's valuable because you like it; it's actually valuable. Right, right. I and at least at this point, I do feel uh, the vintage gold market is undervalued, and um, I think I don't think you'll regret any money you put into it uh, if you do it wisely because uh, there's a lot of interest in vintage which naturally engenders interest in vintage dress uh, dress watches but still not a lot the market on gold hasn't exploded yet i i think it's just a hodinky article or two away from it are, are you or maybe seeing... a, an additional evan casper of watch clicker article perhaps <laughs> are, are you seeing that the the um amount of gold in these watches that that's really what you're buying you're buying the the precious metal as opposed to the watch itself in the in the way of pricing for these watches in some cases yes i that is that is correct of course it depends on the carat value of the case mm -hmm. you know and 18 karat gold is uh i think 75 percent gold and then 25 percent filler metals usually copper and silver or nickel and uh, so the carat count uh, makes a difference. But in a lot of cases, if you're doing your research and you're uh, able to get some good deals that, and they can be had, you can acquire these for like, honestly, very close to just scrap value. Because that's a lot of times that's all that they're going for. The fact that it's in a watch actually takes away from the value, right? <laughs> yeah, the precious metal. does. You have to melt it down first. <laughs> How so, much? How much into metallurgy did you did you get in looking into precious metal watches and making determinations on the types of watches that you were going to be looking at acquiring, and to determine like kind of the the value that you're getting out of that watch against what you're paying. So a little bit. I mean, you have to you have to be smart. I'm the the Smiths is nine carat. Nine mm -hmm. carat is three-eighths actual gold right so when you think about it it's actually more filler metal than gold and at first i was like ah, is that really worth it how much better is that than plated actually but uh in the case of the smiths it sold itself on other in a lot of other ways to me but yeah that definitely is something to keep in mind because you know a 10 karat gold hamilton or a nine karat gold hamilton for instance that's going to have oh boy here's math what, like half the actual quantity of gold that an 18 karat would. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, that'll, that'll explain some of the higher prices you see for that 18 karat stuff. 
And personally, that high a carrot count, that, that gold starts getting really soft, especially around the lugs and the spring bar holes. Yeah. You start seeing some pretty good wear there. Well, so, well, let's let's talk about that real quick because because I think that that's that's an important part of this conversation. You know, when we're talking about, uh, you you hear a lot of phrases get thrown around: gold plated, gold filled, obviously solid gold. I think at least in terms of gold plated and solid gold, I think people have a good idea kind of what they those mean. But but actually, in practice, what are, what are we talking about with those three terms? Sure. So with plated, we all know what that means. Uh, you know, an electroplating process that deposits a one or two micron thick layer of gold or some other uh, color onto the onto a base metal. Filling is a different process that applies a thicker coating, uh, thicker as in, you know, I, I should have checked this, but I'm thinking ten, maybe ten to twenty microns. Okay. So it won't wear through as fast, but it's still not an actual quantity of precious metal. Um, there is also gold capped, which is uh, used a lot more rarely, and that actually has a discrete, like uh, a layer of gold on it that's actually thick enough to comp- comprise of some amount of precious metal, but that's also deposited on a base metal. And then, of course, solid is all is solid the way through. I, for myself, I try and just avoid plated, you know, um, plating wares, especially on vintage, yeah. um, especially, you know, uh, where where sweat has been trapped and stuff that'll start eating away at that at that plating and even at the base metal. And I just, you know, especially with any kind of vintage watch or any watch in general, I think it should look better with age. Uh, age and wear shouldn't reveal an uglier aspect of it. It should hopefully just add character to it. And so that's why plating is something I I would just, or even filling is something that I would kind of just recommend avoiding. Uh, Unless you you really want that look, right? Because I think like there's some, there's some tag Hoyer, like the tag 1000s that I can think of, um, you, you know, which are, plated i believe the the tag 1000s are plated or the even the hoyer 1000s um and and those sometimes patina i i think attractively so but you got to know what you're looking for and you got to have an expectation that that's going to happen right 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 yeah and you know different strokes for different folks if if that sort of look is your thing that's great but uh for myself i just like the way it looks when you get that when the corners get a little rounded, you know, the edges get a little worn down and it's still that nice shiny gold underneath. Sure. Mm -hmm. Sure. Sure. And, and what about the different, uh, carrot values too? So we've talked about nine carat. We've talked about 18 carat, obviously twice as much gold content in 18 carat, uh, upwards towards 75% of the, the case metal. Um, what are we looking at in terms of of options in that range? I would assume that 18 karat gold watches are harder to find, probably significantly harder to find in good in good quality or in good condition. Um, are, are generally the watches that you're looking at in the lower carat range? Uh, it kind of varies. 18 karat almost always carries uh, a much higher price tank just because of that. So we're talking you know, multiple hundred dollars more on average, just because that's the value of the metal in that case. 14 carat seems to be a pretty nice uh, middle ground. You're looking at just over half uh, gold content in the case. So you do have a majority precious metal case and it's still pretty tough and very widely available. Uh, Lots of companies made 14 carat watches. 18 carat are also very common. Uh, Those would usually be your Omega's or Longines, you know, some of the higher-end Swiss luxury brands. Um, 12 carat exists. I've only ever seen Hamilton's. 10 carat also exists, and that's not uncommon. 9 carat is rarer than you might think. I mostly find these old Smiths uh, to be 9 carat when I find gold Smiths. It, it seems to me that that... that 14 carat range is kind of the sweet spot because you're getting the 
you're getting the precious metal, you're getting that coloration, you're getting a gold watch, but also with fillers that are going to give it some durability because gold is soft. You like, I, I can't imagine an 18 and 24 karat gold case really having any kind of longevity in the way of durability. That's like very much a dress only watch. You got to be really careful with it because I would imagine that a, a metal that soft is going to really take some abuse. Is that what you see when you're looking in this vintage market that these higher carat watches are either in immaculate, like basically new old stock or just like fucked up, like look like they went through the lawnmower? Yep. Yep. That I'd say that's an accurate representation. So, <laughs> yep. Yeah. That, that 18 karat stuff, it's either, yeah, it's either pretty good, very sharp and consequently very expensive or yeah, it looks blobby. You know, the, mm. the edges are so worn down from years, especially around the crown. Cause these are all hand wind mostly. Right. So you're winding it every day and you actually, that finger motion will actually wear down gold around that side of the case. Like an old wedding ring. It's yep. flat on the on the bottom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, well, I think that that actually uh, s- sort of brings us into in, into another idea here. I think that um, one of the reasons you might want to look at vintage gold is because, by way of the precious metal value of these things, people are probably more careful with them on on balance than they would be with a Seiko sixty three oh nine. Or whatever, right? That's steel and meant to be banged around a, a sport watch, right? The, these gold watches have something about them that's going to make people be more more careful. W- would you say that's accurate? And would you say that that's a place to sort of think about as you're looking at these things? Yeah, for sure. So, you know, I'd say the majority of what you see on the used, on the vintage market are dress watches. Right, because they're the ones that got put in the drawer and taken out for a wedding or for Easter or you know, whatever, worn sparingly. Yeah. So that that's for that goes for gold or anything else. Uh vintage sport watches are cool, but when they're not just completely beat to crap, they are very expensive. So yeah, if you're inclined to wear a dress watch, which I think more of us should be, especially because I think they can take a lot more than we credit them. Uh, yeah, these these are a good buy in that respect. Well, uh, what about some pitfalls? Okay, so I, I've listened to Evan talking about uh, gold watches. Telling me I'm stupid for not having bought a bunch of them already. I've read his yeah. articles. I've read his articles. Need- what do I need to look out for? Okay, so first off, case polishing. Uh you know, everyone Ooh. wants it to be yeah. Some people like it. Some people hate it. But when it looks like someone's taken a Dremel tool to it, you know, and gotten it so mirror smooth and so shiny, but you also see it's at the expense of every sharp angle on that thing. Right. That's that's something to look out for. Another big one that I've seen, and this is especially on gold. So many of these have engraved case backs, right? Because a lot of times they're for presentation and I guess it bothers some people enough that they'll grind out that inscription on the back. And meanwhile, they remove all the water resistance and hundreds of dollars of precious metal value. Right. And, uh, you know, those case backs aren't made any thicker than they have to be. You know, those, Mm -hmm. those case makers aren't giving you extra gold just for nice. So that can compromise even the integrity of that case. So those are, those are two things to look out for. Wear on the lugs, on the inside of the lugs is another big one because, and I don't know why, but every, almost every single vintage gold watch I have seen for sale and indeed the ones I've bought have come on those gold tone, stretchy spot. Is it Spidel or Spidel? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The Twistoflex. Yep. Yep. Super popular. I'm sure they're super comfortable, but also that is a sharp steel edge rubbing on the inside of that lug. And the steel is going to win every time. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. It's just carving that out. And yeah, you can see some pretty horrific looking stuff. Uh, dial is a big one, of course. You know, redials are everywhere. Uh, t- 
touch retouch dials are everywhere as well, especially in like 1940s and earlier models. A retouch dial, it's it that's a little bit more of a point of opinion. Uh, if it's done well professionally, it's maybe passable, but there are so many horrible hand lettering jobs on vintage Omegas. I'm, it, it's kind of funny to see a nice gold watch, zoom in, and it looks like a two-year-old wrote on the dial. Yeah, and how do you catch that? Do you just ask the seller for a picture not taken with a potato of the dial? Or... <laughs> no, you got to make do with potato, man. This is <laughs> it's a hard world out there. <laughs> you just zoom in on that and try and unblur it by crossing and uncrossing your eyes you need that tom, tom cruise enhance feature yeah it's usually pretty obvious i mean especially omega i don't know why particularly omega but it's pretty easy to spot the hand lettering of the word omega and sort of the slightly crooked cursive seamaster on the bottom um <laughs> and especially if a dial is super clean like Think again, because very few dials actually survive, you know, 50, 60, 70 years of wear and being in drawers and stuff and come out looking like they're brand new. That that usually means a clean dial and a cleaned cleaned dial usually means a retouched dial. Yeah. And if it and if it's clean and you can afford it, uh, you're either getting a fantastic deal or you're just getting you're just getting you're getting it. You're getting it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, embrace a little dirt, little discoloration. All right, so you convinced me. I want to buy a gold watch. Nice. I've decided I want somewhere between 9 and 14 karat gold. I want to spend not so much that my wife is going to stab me while I'm sleeping. What are some good what are some good watches? Some good watches, some entry points for me to get into this hobby. You you know maybe two or three places that I can start to look for my first gold watch. You bet. And this is, this is one of the fun parts for me because so many of these old brands back in the sixties, the fifties, the forties, they were making stuff in America, you know, Waltham, Elgin, um, some of these American brands, those watches are made in the USA as genuinely as it comes. And, uh, yeah, it's just not something you can get anymore. Right. Hardly. And so those two brands in particular, those are good, good ones to look for. Uh, Waltham, uh, there are some caveats, of course, Waltham was sold to a European conglomerate in the fifties. Oh yeah. Yeah. They ruin everything. Right. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> change the logo so you can tell uh post sale waltham by like a little kind of like eagles sort of a glycine looking logo avoid those the old the old uh 1940s and earlier walthams are solid made in the usa and uh they're pretty well-made watches i got one in recently uh i just set it up to test the accuracy i had no service records or anything Wound it up, you know, about 16 or 17 wines, and the thing went and ran, I think, 49 or 50 hours. Yeah, that's what you texted. You messaged us at about 50 hours. You're like, still going? Yeah, I couldn't believe it. Like, how many entry-level watches today have a 50-hour power reserve? So, uh, yeah. I think none. I think the answer is zero. (laughs) Yeah, very few. I mean, especially with Seiko not being entry-level anymore. But that's... That's a whole other conversation. So, yeah, I, I like America. I like American-made things. I like the idea of an American watch. Yeah. I really like what some of these brands are doing, you know, Bayer and them that yeah. are doing American assembly. That's really cool to see that come back. And, uh, like, to be able to get one of the progenitors, you know, the early American-made watches, that's that's a pretty cool experience to me. It could also be one of the best words ever used on the show. Progenitors? Yeah, that yeah. might be it. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Evan. So, uh, thank you for joining us for this yeah. episode. Uh, so, so we've got a couple of brands to look for, but what are, what are you looking for? So my assumption is eBay is, is really the, the best place to be looking for these watches. Um, what are you looking for in 
when you when you hit your eBay search. So your your keywords that you said you set up alerts for were like solid gold, vintage watch, and and I so I pulled up I I, I searched uh, solid gold vintage watches, and then filtered it by ending now, and I found a vintage Hamilton masterpiece, ten karat gold filled, self winding automatic. It's got 12 hours left, so who knows where it's going to go. But right now, it's sitting at $136.50. Everett hit place bid. Unfortunately, I wasn't logged in. Um, <laughs> I did I did do that. But I, I mean, I'm probably 35 watches deep before I'm getting into even a filled gold case because of all the other keywords that are being used in these eBay posts. What are you using in your search criteria to find the right things? Yeah, that's a really good question because... My eBay search is the result of a lot of refining and, yeah, wading through garbage and junk. So one thing that's really handy, just a note about eBay, is you can uh, exclude search terms in your search if you just put a hyphen in front of it. So for me, the biggest thing is excluding terms like fill, plated, plate, tone, RGP for roll gold plated, uh, G.F, gold filled. Cores is one you want to uh, avoid showing up in your search because there are a billion gold-toned Michael Kors watches on eBay. Um, Electroplated, rolled, gold-filled. So I'm usually just searching for either solid gold or often uh, just the carat value, 14K, 18K, and so on. That seems to, and then excluding those other terms seems to give you the best results. But again, and, you know, some of the some of the way you uh, make out well on eBay is finding those listings with a poorly worded title, right? Right. That yeah. Miss out on some on other people's searches. So, if you're really dedicated to finding something and getting a really good deal, you probably will be wading through some garbage. Yeah. So, so being willing to be a little patient and read and read the listing and. Patience is the key, yeah, especially when you're looking for gold because, you know, so often it, like, four out of five things on a given watch will look good, but then there's that one thing that, you know, whether it be there isn't a shot of the movement or the crown is a little wonky looking or that dial's got some obvious, you know, retouching elements on it, it's best to just step away, just wait till you find something that hits everything satisfactorily because in almost any case when it comes to buying a a vintage watch unless you're really sure of yourself no watch is usually better than a watch Mm -hmm. and and my last question are you are you sending your watches out for servicing or do you have someone local to, to to be doing your servicing oh yeah i'm glad you brought that up because that's that's really important and like this is advice for anyone searching for any vintage watch. Like when you buy, buy with a service in mind. So a service for me, I have a watchmaker that's it's local by rural Missouri standards, which is to say about two and a half, three hours away. <laughs> He's in New Jersey. Um. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's right. I'm a New Yorker. So, <laughs> so uh, that is super important. I've found, Find a watchmaker you trust. Uh, go off a recommendation. Be really careful about just picking someone out of the blue. Um, when I buy, I know a watch service is going to be anywhere from, for a three-hand, you know, not needing any parts, fingers crossed, probably anywhere from 150 to $200 from the guys I use. And so when you're shopping, when you're looking, add that to whatever that price is and ask yourself if you're still willing to go for it because it will, it will need service. I mean, honestly, you should get it serviced even if it isn't showing any obvious problems, just to make sure that those, you know, 50, 60, 80 year old mechanical parts aren't rubbing against each other where they shouldn't be and make sure it, make sure it'll continue to run well. So yeah, that, that really can't be overstated when you're looking for vintage, especially vintage gold. Well, Evan, Evan, that's awesome. You, you know, we're, we're probably going to transition here, but I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you, uh, if I didn't ask you about another watch project, 
watch sort of group uh, that you're involved with. And this is a a group that's kind of close to the show uh, just because it was sort of founded in the early days of the show uh, from some folks that are kind of in our community. But I know you're involved at least at least a uh, a participating member of Man on Time. Can you tell us a little bit about what Man on Time is, how you got involved in Man on Time, uh, its origins, and and what that is? Yeah, sure. So Man on Time is a watch forum. Uh, started back 2019, uh, sort of an offshoot of Watch You Seek. Uh, you know, the mods there can be known to be a little heavy-handed at times. Yeah. And... Uh, some popular threads got locked, particularly the the famous heads up, I saw a bargain here thread. You know, we all like to find bargains. So then when that was locked, we all panicked. And uh, one one stalwart member created his own forum. His handle was Man on Time. Matt, a uh, great guy, started this forum with a focus on deal hunting and just a nice little watch enthusiasm community, you know. Uh, not looking to monetize, not looking to, or not monetize heavily, not looking to be the biggest player on the field, but just be a real friendly, uh, welcoming sort of place. Uh, also known for finding the best deals on watches in the biz. So, which is sort of, uh, which is sort of exactly what we do, exactly what yeah. you do. It's sort of what what the the start of forty and twenty was very much in the spirit of everything that's happening here. So big big fan of that shout out to our friend graham aka spork boy of justice uh who who was also in that sort of opening group big contributor over there uh i i know he i think he maybe got wind that you were coming on the show today and and pinged me about a plug uh not in any sort of nefarious way but it seemed like a great opportunity to talk about that yeah shout out to graham he's a, he's a great guy and there's a lot of fans of uh, 40 and 20 in that community as well. And, and, and so that's manontime.com, right? Manontime.com, yep. Fantastic. Andrew. Andrew. Other things. What do you got? I watched a show today. <laughs> <laughs> I love it when the other things start this way. And I... Well, what is happening... Are you gonna Google your? No, your... I had I had it up, but I went to the. Uh, I have a bunch of tabs up, and when you use an iPhone, I'll explain this to you, Evan. Um, <laughs> and you go to your tabs on your browser. If you you hit a next thing, you can choose what uh, what you can screen mirror. I've never done that on accident before. Can I you, didn't understand a word you said. Can you please, for the love of God, talk about your other thing? So I watched a show today. It's a History Channel miniseries. Uh, well, it's not a miniseries. It's a History Channel series. It's a, It was a miniseries for me because there was only a limited amount of them on uh, Hulu called The Food That Built America. Man. So I, I saw that tile and I was like, Yes, I'm in. And what it shows is the in a, in a very history channel half reenactment half interview state like interview forum uh production shows the way that food changed post civil war so what it does is it captured it kind of it it, it it cues in right at the very end of the Civil War when there was this huge urbanization movement with the Industrial Revolution. And people hated the food that they were eating because they were eating all this like rancid food that wasn't meant to be stored because it was sitting in the back of a shop, but they couldn't like grow their own food anymore because they're living in cities, because they're working in factories. And it shows the... Uh, the development, the innovation, the, the evolution of the food industry in America and then ultimately globally because during World War II, the United States was basically the only producer of food. So it became one of the, the leading exports of the United States. It tells the story of the beginning and the 
track of McDonald's. It sh- it tells the story of the Hershey and Mars bar, like the Mars company's pathways, bird's eye frozen foods, like all these things that you just take for granted. You're like, oh yeah, whatever. It's a packaged food. But you don't realize like these were these huge titans of industry who were making like as much money as Rockefeller, but were never given the same prestige because they were just making food. Boring. It it was fascinating. I I really really enjoyed it. I just sat on my couch and I was like, I didn't know any of this. That sounds awesome. You know the McDonald brothers. They they founded McDonald's and then this like this really cunning salesman comes Michael in. Michael Keaton. Yeah, this really cunning salesman comes in and is like, I'll franchise this for you. <laughs> I will manage all of it. <laughs> And then, like two years and later, then he he's, fucking steals it. Yeah, he steals this thing. And did you know M and M's are for Maury and Mars? Like it's the it's it's the son of the Mars Company founder who partnered with one of the Hershey brothers to create M and M's. And they weren't seen in the United States, even though they were being produced for several years prior to their uh, explosion in the United States, because they were being put in rations to go over to Europe for for soldiers fucking Heinz was making glider wings during world war two like just fascinating stuff amazing so that's my 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 other thing uh the show the food that built america it's a history channel special uh you can find it on hulu and i highly recommend it if you're uh listening to this podcast because if you are you are the same level of nerdy as we are and you are the same level of nerdy same level of nerdy as we are i know you are yeah you're listening to the show we just make it I've got another thing. Do it. So I started a new show. This is a show I've seen the title for for so 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 long on on different uh, on on different outlets, and and I've never taken a shot. And then my wife finally sort of she had to kind of talk me into it. I don't know why. It was just it was just one of those things. I was like, eh, because it doesn't look good. The title doesn't make it look good. The synopsis doesn't make it look good. I just didn't want to watch it. So I started I started a, a a show that's got three seasons now. Um, and I started at the beginning, unlike my friend Pete, who started at season three and watched it backwards. Odd Pete. Weird thing to do. Uh, <laughs> shout out to Pete, chilling with watches, my homie. Love that guy. Uh, I started, I started at season one. Main character, Bill Pullman, who is fantastic in this. Uh, I, I cannot say enough about his acting in this. Bill Pullman is one of those guys that I've always sort of known and kind of known about and has com- I've completely changed my opinion to the extent I had one. It was maybe a non-opinion before. And now I'm like, Bill Pullman is one of the greatest actors on earth. But it's a show called The Sinner. The Sinner. And this is sort of a crime serial show. It's like many, many, many shows in that there's a crime that gets committed and kind of an obvious answer about what the crime was. And then as the season develops, you learn more and more about the crime. So the reveal is not the crime mm. or, or even the the committer of the crime, but the story behind the crime being committed. Very big little lies. Exactly. It is amazing. So season one, Bill Pullman, Jessica Beale. Um, fantastic, you guys. So stinking good. I am about a third of the way through season two at this point, and I am sold. I cannot wait to get done with you assholes so I can watch a, an episode of The Center tonight. It, it's one of those shows that's got me like excited. I don't want to go to bed. Ooh, like. I, I, I love shows like that. It's 1045. I know Kim's going to call it. And I'm like, man, I wonder if I start it right now, if I can get her to do another one. Or at least half of it. Right. (laughs) Super good. The Center on Netflix. I think all three seasons, you can find them on Netflix. Evan, newest staff writer or watch clicker. Other things. What do you got? All right. Other things. I had another thing, and then Andrew inspired a bonus other thing. So oh, I'll get the bonus other thing. You get two. Yeah, you can have two. Yeah, yeah, I'll claim them. The bonus other thing, inspired by Andrew's uh, show there, a book by James Lilacs called The Gallery of Regrettable Food. 
highlights from classic American recipe books. Oh, god dang! I'm Morning. I'm picturing like cooking. Jello molds and and botulism salsa and. <laughs> you are picturing correctly. So you know the '50s and '60s. I've uh, heard of that. when America discovered preservation methods. Basically, well, they started to boxed mashed potatoes, <laughs> and they went a little nuts with them. You know, that's when you get the Jello molds, the aspics, uh, the fat choked meat cylinders, the pink whipped Jello desserts, and mm. this book is just pictures from recipe books published by uh, food companies at that time. You had me at fat choked meat cylinders. So, so I have <laughs> I found a website called lilacs the the gallery of regrettable foods what's the what's the book it's called the gallery of regrettable food it's a it's a book so there's a perhaps a website and a book this is this is mystifying andrew it's like the it's like food porn and like it was it was a website that you just scroll through great pictures and and they've and published a book a, i have the book oh you own it yeah i've made several things out of it they're all very good <laughs> The Gallery of Regrettable Food, great oh. read, makes you glad that you're not living back then anymore. Yeah. Um, the other other thing, my main other thing, also happens to be a book. Uh, you guys need to read more. So here's a recommendation for you. John Steinbeck travels with Charlie in search of America. Not a book I've read. I've read a lot of Steinbeck, yeah. and I've not read this. Uh Really, really great book. I mean, Steinbeck is definitely my favorite author. I'd say and, he's uh, up there for me, yeah. Yeah, just love his writing style. This book is set in 1960. John Steinbeck is 58 years old. Uh, he's nearing the end of his career. He also is nearing the end of his life, as it turned out. And I think he kind of sensed that. And so he bought a brand-new GMC pickup truck, got a custom-made camper shell for it, and took his standard poodle, Charlie, on a road trip all across the United States. And it's just a, a book about a road trip. And the people he met, the conversations he had, the things he saw. And, uh, you know, of course, he writes with with just the, the insight and uh, understanding that his books and his writing was known for. It's just a really easy, enjoyable read, but also a really profound and thought-provoking one. I just bought it. Did you really? Yeah, I it, just hit the buy now button. I'll you won't that. regret it. Great book. Did you get it on paper? Yeah. Can I read it after you're done? No. Boo. Uh, <laughs> I, I have recently, fairly recently, uh, tried to talk Mike Rezak, our senior writer, into reading of Mice and Men because I think it oh, is yeah. just such a wonderful, wonderful story. And the human beings in that are so tangible. Uh, it's an American Greek tragedy. It's beautiful. And, and just, I mean, I mean, more than that, right? I mean, it's just this. Yeah, Steinbeck's fantastic. It, yeah. Really, really I, good. I I'm, I'm excited about subscribe it. Subscribe East of Eden. That's my favorite by mm -hmm. him. Just, yeah, a, a real understanding of the human condition and human nature. Mm -hmm. So, Evan, thank you so much for joining us. I think that uh, Gold Watches is a really fun topic. Uh, I think you probably have a lot more information uh, than just gold watches, but this seemed like a great opportunity to get you on the show, introduce you to the folks. Uh, so glad you've joined us to be a writer at Watch Clicker and, and just otherwise really happy to, to have you on the crew. So thanks, man. Thanks a lot, guys. This has been a real pleasure. And, uh, you know, I've been a long time listener of the show. Never really expected I'd be here, but a lot of fun. Thanks Dreams a lot. do come true. <laughs> <laughs> Evan, people can find you at i.courtman c-o-r-t-m-a-n on Instagram anything else you want to say before we go I think that's it Andrew I'm out, I'm out of things Okay. hey thank you guys for joining us for this episode of 40 and 20 of the Watch Clicker podcast you can check us out at watchclicker.com literally every episode ever published of the podcast is on there. Also, articles from guys like Evan who actually write really amazing stuff. Good content, unlike unlike what you get on the podcast. 
If you want to check us out on Instagram, you can do so at 40 and 20 at WatchClicker. Also check out i.corpman. If you want to support the show, you can do so on Patreon.com. We had some new patrons this week, and it just fills my heart with joy and my pockets with money. Not much. Because we spend it on things like hosting and hardware <laughs> and things you don't expect we'd have to spend money on with regularity. Don't forget to tune back in next Thursday for another hour of watches, food, drinks, life, and other things we like. Bye-bye. <laughs>